Welcome back to Tapping Into Crypto, the podcast that is usually for all things cryptocurrency. This week, we're bringing you something different because the question that we are all still asking is, what is actually going on? We've just had a new government elected and so many people are sitting in fear and uncertainty because we're hearing about interest rate rises, record inflation, huge debt levels and potential cuts to spending on top of a very volatile market today. So to break down what's happened, what it means and where we could potentially go, we have the legendary Stephen Kukolis, aka The Kook, from Market Economics. Because whether you're a beginner, a Bitcoin veteran, or just crypto curious, I am your host, Alicia Chapman, and this is Tapping Into Crypto. Today's episode, I am so excited for. I've been hanging out to do this, and the chat that we're having today, we have the legendary Stephen Kukolis joining us. Welcome, Stephen. It's so good to have you here with us today. Well, it's fantastic to be here and there's so much to talk about. So much. Literally the best day that we could have chosen to record this after the weekend that we've just had as we're recording, the election has just happened and some big changes that I don't know everyone saw coming. Well, no, it was obviously a close election and it still sort of is. We're still waiting for the final votes to be tallied up, but it looks pretty clear that the Labor Party, Mr Anthony Albanese, is the Prime Minister. We know that much. It's just a matter of how big the margin might be. But, boy, it's a, it's a change. Uh, we haven't had the Labor Party in power for almost a decade now. They've got an agenda which some people say is actually quite small, but I actually, when I look at things like repairing the budget, childcare reforms, you know, gender equality issues, immigration intake, the wages discussion of the economy. There's a lot of things that they've got to start implementing and implementing pretty soon. It's going to be quite an interesting and exciting time. Definitely. And so much change. And, you know, even just the market we're walking into, we were chatting just before we hit record, you know, any one of the things that are happening in the world right now on its own would be huge. But we seem to have them all happening all at the same time. And I know for our listeners in particular, the question we're getting asked the most at the moment is, what is going on? And that's not just isolated to crypto. As we we often talk about, there's this whole just turmoil in the market and volatility across every sector that we're seeing. And, and now, you know, with a new government, I'm sure that's going to continue. Yes. And it- you're quite right to point out that what we're seeing, and you know, I'm an economist, I've been around for a long time, I've got a lot of grey hair and <laughs> these other things, but you know, when we look at different parts of the economy and the broader economic environment, because you know, we want the broad economy to, to be doing well. When it's doing well, we have jobs created and you know, everyone tends to do a whole lot better than when we're in a recession, taking the worst case. But right now, what we're seeing globally and even here in Australia too is that inflation's at its highest level in 20 or 30 years. Gosh, so you know that's a really important part of how we judge our household finances, our business, because the cost of buying stuff is going up a lot. That's what high inflation means. Prices are going up a lot. Mm-hmm. At the same time, and as we saw just recently released, we've got the unemployment rate below 4% for the first time since 1974, so almost 50 years. And when I talk to the business community and uh, other uh, friends and counterparts, there's this real labour shortage, a real skill shortage. In a, in a sense, that's good news. Mm-hmm. But if you're running a business and you need to hire more staff or you want to retain your skilled workers and your talent, you know, it's, there's hot demand for workers out there. And that's actually feeding into what I think will be an issue through the course of the next, I don't know, six or 12 months. 
higher wages growth is coming. It didn't happen last quarter, but it's probably on its way. So that skill shortage is actually feeding into um, into wages and demand for, for labour. And then the other one, of course, is interest rates are going up. Again, not just here, but around the world. So we've got this whole interlinkage of a hot economy, supply chain problems, and the fact that our own RBA, Reserve Bank of Australia, are hiking rates, but so too are they hiking rates in the US, in the UK, in Canada, New Zealand, South Korea, you know, a heap of countries. So we've got to get used to the fact that over the course of the next 12 to 24 months, we're going to be seeing a lot more rate increases. Definitely. And I really do want to dive into that because I know it's something that people are really fearful of. They're really scared of these rate increases that are coming through and this big talk around inflation and and the big R word that's being mentioned a lot as well. But before we do, for those that haven't found you, you mentioned that you're an economist. What does your background look like? How did you get to where you are today? Oh, gosh, I'll try to summarise this in a, in a minute or so. Um, in the middle 1980s, I'm revealing my age. Ah, um, I, I studied economics at the ANU uh, at Canberra and did an honours degree, and I was lucky enough to start off in the Federal Treasury. Uh, Paul Keating was treasurer. For those who are old enough to remember him, the most dynamic treasurer I think we've ever seen. Uh, I then got a job at Citibank. I became the chief economist there. I moved to a crowd called Toronto Dominion Bank, Canadian, obviously, Toronto Dominion, and moved to London, where I was the uh, head of global strategy, looking at you know currencies, economics, interest rates around the world. So that was a fantastic job. I came back to Australia, spent a short period of time working for Julia Gillard when she was Prime Minister. So again, that was a very exciting role. Gosh, it's not for the faint-hearted, I can assure you. And um, I didn't see it out for a terribly long time for a whole lot of other personal reasons. But then after I did that, I set up my own business called Market Economics. And here I am now talking economics, analysing all of the things that we're already discussing, plus a whole lot of other things like housing and you know public policy, tax policy, and all this other stuff. And that's my little business now. So I've done a lot. Still got plenty more years fighting me too, I must say. Definitely. And I think the thing that I love the most is the way that you explain things. You know, anyone can jump on and they can understand what you're saying. Whereas, you know, sometimes you can jump on and even if you flick on the news, you're like, what What are these people talking about? Like, this does not make any sense. So again, we're so excited to have you on the pod today to really break down some of the stuff that is happening. So diving back to what we're seeing across the world now, which is remarkable. Again, the the inflation that we're seeing, you know, coming off the back of the last couple of years, dealing with a pandemic that none of us have been through and not knowing how that was going to impact us, what was going to happen, what was going to unfold in the world. And now seeing inflation as high as it is, you touched on what it is, but can you explain why it's a problem when it rises so quickly? Yeah, when inflation goes up, normally around the world and certainly in Australia too, the annual rate of inflation is about two, two and a half on a bad day, it's 3%. And that's the rate of increase in the price of goods and services that you and I and every other consumer and listen to this podcast buy every day. It goes from fruit and veggies to insurance policies to petrol to shoes to haircuts and all of that basket of goods and services that we buy. And when inflation is low and relatively stable, it makes it easier for us consumers to spend. We're not going to get slugged with big price increases. Or if you're a business person, you can make your business plans on the assumption that prices are only going to be going up a couple of percent. Now, in the last six to nine months, we've had this inflation rate around the world lifting to, well, seven, eight, nine percent. So it's almost triple what we're used to in a sense. And that's a problem because it disrupts what our normal planning strategy would be when, we, when we're undertaking, say, our business plans. If you've got a business plan, you've got to outlay a whole lot of money 
building machinery and equipment and premises to run your business. And the cost of that goes up by 8% rather than 2% because of high inflation, then all of your business planning can be thrown out the window. Mm. So that's why low inflation is such a good thing. And when we look back to the ancient times when we had, you know, the 1970s, that is, and even the 1980s, when we had inflation, you know, often at 8, 10, 12, 15% at some times, you know, it was really bad for the economy. And it changes the way that we behave. If I expect prices to go up 10% next year, I'm going to change my spending because I'm fearing that if I put off, for example, buying that house, that it'll go up even more and I won't be able to afford it. So I change what I'm doing, whereas if inflation's low, it's that stability that's important for, for running a business. Yeah, for sure. And so do you think like, you know, there, there's a perfect storm, I think, that's happened here. And there's a thousand reasons that we could go into of why inflation is so high. Something that's not really spoken about a lot, and I wonder if it is contributing to it, maybe perhaps in that perfect storm, is like the shipping dramas that we're having at the moment. What do you think are the key drivers for why it has oh, gone up so much? Yeah, those shipping costs are really staggering. They've gone up three or four fold. So the distribution of things around the world economy and don't forget, we've got a very globalised economy. You know, countries specialise in low-cost manufactured goods. And in Australia, we tend to import a lot of low-cost manufactured goods. But if you can't get the ship coming in with those things there, then not only can we consumers not buy them, but if you're a business person relying on those widgets, if I can use that phrase, as part of your manufacturing process here in Australia, you're going to be in big trouble. So that's part of the issue. That It's not just the cost of freight, which, as you said, has gone up a lot. It's the fact that it's slower and harder to get things delivered. And then you've got these other issues going on too. And remember at the depths of the pandemic, if we can call it that, when things were really, really bad, we had interest rates around the world basically set at zero. Mm -hmm. We had money being pumped into the economy by both central banks and governments. So in the US, for example, that both the Trump and the Biden administration pumped in, I think it was about five or six for trillion dollars into the US economy alone. And here in Australia, we've got big budget deficits and around the world it was a similar sort of thing because we were really worried that COVID would, would be even worse than it is. I'm not saying it's good, but it would be even worse. So we had all these governments and reserve banks pumping money into the economy. And now that we found out that I won't say COVID is sort of being lived with, if I can use mm. that phrase consciously, yeah. that we consumers and the business are saying, hey, we've got plenty of cash. Gee, borrowing's cheap. It's really uh, a lot of money in the economy. Let's go out and spend it. So that's why it's not just a supply chain problem, as important as that is in driving up inflation and the cost of doing business. It's the fact that we consumers have got plenty of cash and we're spending it. And then, so on the flip of that, like to, to combat this, everyone's talking about, you know, these rate hikes that are going on. And we've seen that across the world, as you touched on. Is that going to fix it? Is that going to be the thing that, that helps us here? It's part of the solution. It's one of those policy issues that there's no one quick fix. Like a lot of things in economics, if there was just one thing you could do and you'd fix all these problems, you'd do it. Now, it, it, hiking interest rates and moving them back to sort of normal levels of probably, well, in Australia's case, say two and a half to three and a half percent from where we were at 0.1 percent just a, a month or two back. So that is part of the process of trying to pull some of the heat out of the economy, if you like, dampening some of these inflation pressures. But we also need governments to be taking back some of that fiscal policy stimulus that I mentioned. So all that money that governments were pumping into the economy is no longer needed. So we're just talking about the election here. So I'm wondering whether the new government here and the new treasurer, Jim Chalmers, 
we'll be getting a briefing from Treasury saying, hey, you've got to cut back government spending a bit more because we, you know, we don't want that money in the economy when we're doing okay. Yeah. So that's another part of the reason too. So the solution to this high inflation problem are those two things on both interest rate policy and budget policy. But of course, we also need the supply chains to free up again. And obviously, with most of the large parts of China locking down with its COVID problems right now, that's disrupting the supply of a lot of manufactured goods out of China. The Russia-Ukraine war, obviously a horrible, horrible issue, but that's also having big disruption to things like agricultural commodities. So sunflower oil and wheat and things like that. There's a shortage of those. And I think, oh, well, that doesn't matter much. But, you know, they go into the food manufacturing process, but they're a really important part of this global dynamic. And the price of wheat has tripled as well. And so we've got this fascinating issue that it's the supply chain, geopolitics with the war, interest rates needing to go up. So we need the war to end and China to get over its COVID. But again, I, I don't know enough about that to know when that's going to end. So we could be in this high inflation period for yeah for quite a while. And it is. It's something that there's so much fear around at the moment and uncertainty and doubt and FUD in the market, definitely. Looking back with your experience on previous cycles, I guess, and even you know predicting looking forward, which we'd all love a, a crystal ball to be able to, but how does this traditionally impact markets when we are seeing such high levels of inflation and then rate rises on top of that? What happens in the market then? Yeah, well, arguably one of the reasons why we had, up until very recently, stock prices were hitting record highs. Yeah, the, the crypto boom was just that. It was a boom. And part, again, part of the reason, it's a bit like this whole discussion of inflation. There was a lot of liquidity and money in the global economic system. And so investors were sort of saying, oh, I'll put money into stocks. Oh, I'll buy a bit of crypto. And yeah, so there was all this sort of risk appetite, I suppose, for investors that they were putting their money into these things. And that's not to say that they were the wrong things to do or there's anything bad with the companies and the asset allocation that these people were making, but that probably just sparked the boom to go a little too quickly. Again, mm. markets don't go up forever and ever and ever in an unbroken cycle. There's always swings and roundabouts in markets. Even the best companies in the world have gone up and down. So I think we saw this position where there was just a lot of risk appetite. People saying, hey, I'll, I'll put money into these assets, some of which they might not have been too familiar with, some of which they were, but we saw this incredible boom. So as that stimulus is withdrawn, you're actually getting this interesting phenomenon now where yeah, there's been a dip in both stock prices, a dip in crypto prices, and bond yields are going up because of this high inflation scenario. So all markets have gone through, again, this um, well turmoil, I suppose we could call it in, in a nutshell. Yeah. And do you feel like it's more of a correction? Because I think like going back and even talking about where we're expecting rates to go, like it wasn't that long ago that we had 3% rates. Like that wasn't a foreign land that was years and years and years ago. Does it feel more like a correction than a crash? Yeah. One thing to remember in, in all of this and all the market volatility that when we turn on our screens in the morning, we think, oh my gosh, you know, this, this market's gone down 3% or up 4%. Yeah. That incredible volatility that we we're talking about a moment ago is that the fundamentals of the global economy are still pretty good. You know, the war hopefully won't last forever and the Chinese lockdown won't last forever. And again, if anything, we've learned from lockdowns is that when they end, there's always a spring back in economies. Mm -hmm. So again, I don't know how long China will be locked down for, but when it does address its COVID problems and it reopens, the Chinese economy will bounce back too. And that will be a very uh, welcome issue for the global economy. So to me, the the dynamics of innovation of businesses, the growth, the adaptability, the climate change issues, 
you know, firms are increasingly moving to renewables and all this other sort of really exciting stuff, the way that we're doing business again, you know, the, the way that we're working from home or click and collect or you're, we do so much of our shopping now. So the bricks and mortar retailers, as another example, they're probably not going to do so well in the next few years because we just click and it's delivered to our front door. So the dynamics of how the economy is functioning is good news. And so the businesses that are agile and adaptable, if I can use those, those phrases, are the ones that are going to do well. So I think that it is more of a uh, sort of a correction. Oh, gosh, we've got rate hikes coming. Oh, gosh, that's a bit scary and you know, inflation's a bit higher. So you get the knee-jerk market reaction, and that's fine. I fully understand that. But I think the underpinnings of you know, the global economy, and certainly here in our Australian economy, are pretty good. And with all of that being said, if there is a recession, should people be worried? Oh, look, recessions are never good because it does mean that, you know, businesses do fall over, they collapse, unemployment does go up. That's the very definition of a recession. So if we were to see, for example, that recession talk turn into a reality, you know, we were see, to see the US economy sort of stall as it's hiking interest rates and similar things in, in the Eurozone with that jump in energy prices and, the, again, because Euro areas very heavily impacted by Russia and its gas and energy supplies to the whole Eurozone countries, that are all the countries there. So if we were to see a recession in, in the big parts of the world, in a sense, that would, that would be bad news. Um, I think clearly there's a risk. You know, again, you never rule anything out nowadays. But I would like to think that if it looked probable, if it looked as if there was something like that coming down the pike towards us, that you'd see central banks actually stopping their rate hiking cycles. You know, they don't want to hike interest rates into an economy that's weakening you know, markedly. So you get the policy makers changing their approach to how they're conducting policy. And policy is such an interesting thing to touch on and something I'm so excited to talk about with you today because we have seen, as you mentioned, you know, going back through that COVID period, there was so much stimulus and so much spending. And I think it was $885.5 billion was our official debt level, which just just blows my mind that we end up there. And, you know, we, it could have been much worse. It could have been a T. It could have been a trillion like we saw in other parts. But how do we come out of this? Now that we've got this government who's here and you've heard, you know, different policies being thrown around, what sort of solutions do you think that we can see that implement to try and move us out of these debt levels? Yeah, well, that debt level you mentioned, the 885, is where it is now. And in fact, from the budget papers that the former government put out <laughs> just, uh, what, six or eight weeks ago, debt levels in Australia on current policies are set to hit $1.2 trillion with a trillion in, a, in about two and a half, three years' time. So that's assuming nothing changes. Now, we've got a change of government. As you said, what do we do about it? I think we need to do something. I'm getting a little worried. I'm not yet worried because a lot of the stimulus measures, the pumping of the money into the economy were really good things to do during the COVID lockdowns. You know, the JobKeeper program, these sorts of things really helped our economy get through reasonably well. Obviously, some people suffered, but we didn't have that collapse in the economy in part because of that escalation in debt. But as I was just saying a moment ago, because the economy is doing pretty well, because we've got low unemployment and this inflation rate is very high, I think the case is on for this new government, Mr Jim Chalmers is the Treasurer, he's got to actually say, look, enough's enough. We can't afford to let this debt level increase forever and ever. There comes a point where if we get this debt level increasing, 
we get higher global interest rates because the government too has got to pay interest on its debt. It's like the rest of it. It's, it's got to pay interest on debt. And then we have another crisis coming along in three, five, ten years' time. I don't know whether it's a global financial crisis or another pandemic or, heaven forbid, some conflict between, say, China and the US over Taiwan. I don't, I don't know. There's these things that can happen. And if we've got debt levels that are really high, then your ability to sort of pump prime the economy and rescue it is much harder when you've got a high debt level as opposed to when you've got a relatively low debt level. So policies mean, unfortunately, there's going to be some trimming of government spending, cuts if you like. Like The government's got to just sort of look at where uh, the money's allocated through the economy and so that's a tough challenge because you're going to be taking money out of people's pockets and people don't like that, but even, even if it's not needed, you've still got to do it sometimes. And then the other side of the ledger, of course, is tax policy. You know, are they going to be looking at, tightening some of the tax conditions. Now, they said they're going to do it for multinational corporations, so the Labor Party is going to be looking at multinational corporations, but they don't get a whole lot of revenue from that particular source. I'm wondering if they're going to be looking at things like superannuation tax concessions or some of these other things related to housing and negative gearing and capital gains tax concessions. There's a whole lot of things they can look at. Now, politically, they're tough, but maybe we actually need those tough decisions to be taken to, to repair the budget so we don't get to one2 trillion dollars of government debt. That will be really interesting, particularly capital gains. I know that's something that all of our listeners are very intrigued in and always very, very interested to see what they're doing. And I know Labor has had some really interesting policies around what we should do with both negative gearing and capital gains. What do you think we could see there? Look, given that Labor went to the election campaign without a pledge to change these things, I suspect they'll just do smaller Items. There's not going to be a major overhaul of capital gains tax and all these other things. I think they'll be, because uh, that's political poison. They'll be, they'll be, in, you know, in in big trouble if they were to do that without taking it to an election. So I think what they might do is do the easy things, and there are a couple of easy little policy changes you can implement. As I said, multinational tax is one of them, and, and some of these spending things that are they they can tweak a little bit. Yeah. What I think is more likely is that they'll work on a, an agenda over the next. 12 months, so it's quite a long time. It's not going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> but, but over 12 months, they'll actually set up an agenda on that about this is what we want to achieve. Like the other reviews into this tax system that the Gillard and Rudd governments had, and even John Howard, for those people who can remember back to 1998 or 1999 when they introduced the goods and services tax. That was massively controversial, hiking taxes, but they took it to the people, they took it to the next election, they won the election and implemented it. So I think that while we might say, gee, that there's a case for some pretty significant and early issues to address this level of government debt and these budget deficits, and they'll make some progress, they definitely will. The big crunch, I think, is still a couple of years away because they need to sort of work out what the electorate will tolerate, mm. take it to the people, and then if they win that election, bang, you get the changes coming through. And with how fast the world's changing, gosh, like, you know, the whole world will probably be very different again by the time that rolls around. So it'll be really interesting to see what they do do. Oh, indeed. The things are changing so quickly. And again, that's why policy agility is important. And again, what we heard about during the election campaign, you know, we'll focus on the Labor Party given they won. Yeah, <laughs> um, In 12 months' time, things could be very different. If COVID's completely dealt with and the economy is strong or Russia leaves Ukraine and energy prices, including our own petrol prices, mm. <laughs> start to drop again, then that's a, as two mini examples of how things can change very quickly. And that would be for the better, obviously, because that, that'd be um, really helping our economy along quite nicely. So there's a lot of things that can change. So that's why policy 
flexibility is important that you don't set the budget forever and ever and ever because things change. Just like interest rates are not at the same level forever and ever. The RBA puts them up, they put them down, they change them according to fresh news. So your point's quite valid that you know, while we think right now we've got this inflation problem, we've got this budget problem, they both need to be addressed. I think that's true. But in 12, 24 months' time, when we have this conversation, we'll be probably looking at very different issues. And who would have thought that the world could change so fast, but now we can't predict anything. And so we've talked about a lot today. I feel that some people listening to this might be feeling pretty nervous. We're talking about interest rate rises, if we're talking about inflation, if we're talking about cutting spending, perhaps increasing taxes. If we're hearing all of those things and someone is feeling nervous, what sort of advice would you have for them? Yeah, look, prepare for it. You can't hide your head in the sand because you know, interest rates are going up. So if you've got a mortgage, just to use that as a classic example, yeah, factor in rates going up. And rates going up by, gosh, two percentage points, maybe more. So get your favourite mortgage calculator. How much have you got is in debt? How much are you repaying? Put that higher interest rate in and see if you can still tolerate it. And, and, and don't be surprised when it happens. It's probably going to happen. Mm-hmm. The other thing to remember is that the economy, as we said at the very beginning, the economy is actually in pretty good shape. Unemployment is very low, almost at a 50-year low. It's under 4%. Demand for workers is very strong. And while it's easier said than done, you know, ask your boss for a pay rise. I know that's not easy. But, you know, there's a genuine shortage of workers out there right now. So firms are really clamouring over each other to get talent, to get skilled workers. So my view would be that we're probably going to be seeing some wage increases. So while interest rates might be going up, you think, oh, no, that's a, an extra 100 bucks here and $100 there yeah, per month. And, yeah, we get this concern going. At least part of it, not all of it, part of it will be offset by the fact that, you know, you'll probably be getting an okay pay rise over the course of the next year or two. I think that's so important to touch on as well is that you do have a little bit of control in this as well. Like, you know, if you are employed or even as a business owner, there are still things that you can do and to be proactive and to just be aware of what's happening in the world and and zooming out and really taking that macro lens to what's going on. Because as you said, like it's not all doom and gloom, even though the media will always feed us that it is, zooming out and even zooming out to where we were. Like, yes, okay, we're dropping a lot from where we were perhaps a month ago or six months ago, but are we dropping that far from where we were two years ago before the pandemic? Mm. And the answer is probably not that far. So it it doesn't feel that scary when you zoom out. Correct. And I guess it depends whether you're a trader and what your time horizons are and all these other things. But for me, I'm a long-term type person. I, I, I do change and what I'm in, putting my money into and all these other things. So, of course, of course you do. But you tend to sort of take a view that what's a good investment? Will this particular asset class be doing well in the years ahead? Obviously, you want it to go up tomorrow after you make the investment. But, you know, what What are the dynamics occurring here? How is this structure of the economy changing? And, you know, for another example, the really interesting one that I sometimes focus on is, again, I'm old enough to remember people writing checks and going to a bank with a bank teller. Yeah. Like, people laugh at me when I say, my kids don't understand what I'm talking about in their mid-20s. So, you know, what's going on here? So, the payment system's changing. Cash, I'm wondering how much longer we'll still have cash because, mm. again, partly because of the pandemic because people didn't want to touch money, strange that might be. You know, we were, we were tapping, tap, 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 direct debit, transfers. So cash, 
And I know from the Reserve Bank statistics on you know, people who withdraw cash from ATMs, for example, it's gone down. You know, people don't use as much cash as they used to. And that's probably only old folk like me that use it. So young people. So these changes are going on. So what does that mean when you're looking at this volatility in markets and the way the economy is going to be looking in one, three, five years' time? It's going to continue to evolve partly because of smart people with technology, partly because of consumer behaviour changes, partly because of what's going on in the global economy and partly from what, you know, the policy makers in Canberra will do with spending and tax. There's so many moving parts to this. Definitely. And I think the thing that's so often talked about when the markets are like this is that it can be a really incredible time to build wealth. If you can afford it, And if you can invest and you're investing in the right things and you are applying that lens and looking at that long-term investment, it can be somewhere where you can make a lot of money because things are falling. Prices are low and perhaps undervalued. You know, once if we do continue to fall and not just to a point where it may be considered a correction, but further than that, and it's undervalued, but the company is still doing fantastic. That's an opportunity. And that's the thing that it's a really, really hard thing for anybody to get your mind around. But you buy when everyone else is selling. <laughs> I don't see, again, it's much more easier said than done. But when a market's booming, everybody's clever because, oh, we're all making money. It's when the market's correct that you've got this interesting issue. Just should I, you know, just take a deep breath and wait for it to recover? Or should I actually add to my position and average the, the, the price at which I've got long this particular asset? And that's sort of the interesting thing. So we've learned over many, many, many years, and we'll hear it from you know, people way smarter than me in asset allocation decisions that, you know, when there's that, they call it blood in the streets, when everybody's selling stocks or whatever, you buy them, you take mm-hmm. a deep breath, you might pick the bottom. In fact, you probably won't pick the bottom. But when a market has dropped 20, 30%, you're better off buying it then than you bought paying at the peak price. So again, it takes a lot of discipline and still do your research and homework on that particular asset class that you want to put your money in. Is it still viable? Because some businesses do go to nothing. We should note that. But a lot of the times you see this big pullback and then they recover. And just as a way of a couple of examples, again, it's outside your space probably, but people will probably get it. But, you know, Qantas stock, Flight Centre, Webjet on the stock market, as an example, when the pandemic was on and there was no flying, those share prices, they, they fell 70%, 80% from where they were. Are they still good companies? Yep. The borders are reopening? Yep. What's happened to those share prices? They're taking off, pardon the pun, but they're, they're really moving ahead. So, again, it's, it's that being alert to whether the companies or the asset class is still a good one. If they're being sold down for reasons that are not well-formed because of them being scared of rate hikes and these sort of things, take a deep breath and sort of, again, do your homework and uh, maybe, maybe buy in at these uh, lower prices. And so if someone's listening to this and they're now like, okay, cool, I, I understand what's happening. I'm not afraid of it. I'm educated now and I'd like to continue being more educated. What sort of things can they be looking at? There's some good analysis around the, around the traps. For me, I'm a macroeconomist, so that's why we're talking about macroeconomics here predominantly. So uh, yeah, I do listen to what the Reserve Bank says, so I don't always agree with them. But every month, they put out their monthly statement with interest rates. Every quarter, they do a comprehensive, incredible analysis of the economy. So go to the rba.gov.au and look through their, their research. It's fantastic. So some of it's a bit, a bit nerdy, but if you've got even a basic knowledge of economics, you can, you'll get the drift of what they're talking about with interest rates, inflation, unemployment, wages, all these things that we've spoken about. That's a good starting point. Now, in terms of markets, gosh, I, I, I don't know who I'd recommend, um, but they can look at the markets and see what's going on here, what's actually happening. Does this matter 
or is this a change? So the interesting thing about what happened, what was it, six or eight months ago when interest rates were at zero, all of a sudden there was a bit of a smell in the air that these low rates aren't going to stay. Remember we had official rates at 0.1%. We had the 10-year government bond yield at 0.9%. Something was happening. That inflation number went up. Oh, it was only one off. I remember people saying it's transitory. It's not going to be entrenched into the system. Lo and behold, now it's entrenched. Interest rates have gone up by three percentage points in six months, Mm -hmm. and it's changed the dynamics of the whole market system. Yeah, it it has, and it's changed so quickly as well because – if you zoom out again, there's been so much else going on as well. It's not just isolated to that. And I think, you know, people often will look for something to blame. But as we've touched on so much in this podcast, there's so much happening right now that I don't think you could put the single pin on one single thing that that is what's causing all of this. Correct. And in, in economics and markets and every aspect of life, there are so many moving parts. And um, obviously what central banks do with interest rates, what companies do, who's innovating, what does a competitor do? You know, as I said, death of bank tellers, not physically, you know, not, not really, but you know, the fact that we're changing the way that we do our payments has implications for all of these businesses. And that's just that micro example, let alone what's going to be happening in the way that we, you know, we do our shopping or businesses conduct their expansion plans, for example. And you know, are we going to be all holidaying overseas again you know, in the next 12 months? That'll change how much money is spent in Australia because we Australians spend more money overseas holidaying than holiday makers to Australia spend. That actually slows our economy down. Mm-hmm. You know, one reason the economy's done pretty well is we've locked our boards. It sounds odd, but you know, we we Australians spend more money at home than yeah, we do overseas. Anyway, so there's yeah. a whole lot of things that are moving parts. And again, it's that ability to sort of judge what's important today, what's you know, what's just a bit of a 24-hour wonder that's the trick. But you know, that it's so much fun to look at all these, as I said, all these moving parts because they all have some impact and the importance of each of them changes occasionally. And with all of your experience and all of your amazing knowledge in this space and everything that you've seen, do you have any, I guess, parting words of wisdom for our listeners who are living and breathing all of this, I guess, for some of them, pain right now? Look, my my words of wisdom is um, take a chance, but do it cautiously. (laughs) I know this might sound like a, a conflict in ideas. And if you see something that looks to be vibrant and dynamic and a change in the way things are being done, give it a go, but don't put all your eggs in the one basket either. That's the other thing. And again, everybody says that because for every, you know, one thing that turns into an absolute boomer, there are probably three or four that go bust. So again, so spread your investment risks across different categories because not everything goes up at the same time. One or two will fail. And if you can choose one of those or find one of those that does one of these multi gains over time, you know, and a couple go bust, that, that's entirely appropriate. Give it a go and invest wisely. You know, look at the economic news as it comes out. You know, don't obsess like on it like I have to. That's my job. But <laughs> you know, look at the news that's coming on. Have a bit of a think about what you're hearing about the Reserve Bank and tax policy. You know, again, the elections taught us that well, maybe we should be looking at politics a bit more closely because these people, they determine how much tax you and I pay. They determine you know, whether they're going to be spending money in aged care or building new roads or whatever they're spending this money on. That's interesting. And if it, and if they say, for example, say they're going to be spending more money on 
promoting renewables, well, what are the companies that you know, make renewables? And so, yeah, yeah. Uh, that sounds a bit too simplistic, but uh, you can get the gist it of what I'm It can be that to. simple. It can be. And so I think, like, and it's really interesting on the election, I think it's been, you know, I've only been through a few myself in my lifetime, but it's been probably the most active election that I've ever seen. The political coverage and the news outlets that are geared perhaps towards millennials or even Gen Z that are covering what's going on, who was doing what, who you should vote for, and the change we've seen out of it, the independents and the Greens and the votes that we've never seen before coming yeah, through. Yeah. It's been a really interesting time. Oh, it's, it's been a fascinating time. And the, the thing that struck me, apart from the change of government, which is a big deal, doesn't happen very often, is the rise of the Greens. They, they look to be, well, they'll have a lot of power in the new parliament, as will the so-called teal independents, those vibrant, dynamic women. Fantastic. You know, so the whole parliament, I don't know when parliament's going to be resuming. We're going to have the debate going on. And, you know, if you watch Question Time, it used to be just a shouting match. You know, all these bloody noisy people shouting at each other. I'm hopeful that we're going to get a real change in democracy that happened, you know, with this election that, that was just the other day, that we've got a change in the way our governments, our politicians behave. And I think it's, I think it's quite exciting. Mate, I'm an optimist at heart. I have to acknowledge that. But no, genuinely, with the change in the way the parliament is and some of the dead wood that's been gotten rid of, our voters did the right thing and the people they seemingly elected are great, they're interesting, they're vibrant, they've got the climate as an important issue, gender equality issues is important, women's rights, you know, economics are an important part. These are the things that we're hankering for and I think we've finally got a, a parliament anyway that's going to be looking at these things and, you know, changing the way we, we do stuff, we look at things and the vibrancy of our economy, which for me as an economist, I love economic growth, I love low unemployment, long may that last. A hundred percent. And people, you know, breaking away from voting how their parents voted. I think that's happened for so long and people are finally, uh, you know, feeling free to actually exercise their right and be educated. And they want to, like, you know, someone who's listened this whole way through, they're interested in economics. They're interested in learning more about this space. And you did mention that it is your job, which is brilliant for all of us because you summarize all the parts that are way too boring to read for hours and hours and put it into really great videos and snippets for people to read. So if someone's listened to this and they really have resonated with what you've said and would love to check you out, where can they find you? Oh, gosh, uh, on Twitter, which is my, one of my favorite platforms. And I know not everybody likes it. I'm just at the kook is my handle, T-H-E-K-O-U-K. I've got a website that I'm revamping, so it's work in progress. It might not be ready for another week or two, but it's, again, thekook.com, and you'll find most of my stuff there. That's where that's where I am. It is so fascinating, and we could literally talk for hours on this, I think. It's just something that once you get started, you're like, oh, now where? Where do we go and where do we head and where can you even predict that we're going, which is so exciting. So we'll pop all of that in the show notes for the guys that do want to check it out. But Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been epic having you on and I can't wait to talk to you very soon. An absolute pleasure. Thoroughly enjoyed it and good luck to everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for today's show. If you liked it, don't forget to head over to the gram and join us at Tapping Into Crypto. And before we finish up, just a general disclaimer that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. And the opinions on this podcast belong to individuals and are not affiliated with any companies mentioned. Any advice is general in nature and does not take into account your own personal situation. If you're looking to get advice, please seek out the help of a licensed financial advisor. We'll talk to you soon. 